Good morning, saints. It is good to be with you all this morning and those of you online as well. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, if you have it, and turn to 1 John chapter 3 is the passage that we're looking at this morning. And I want to take a moment to talk about a few words that you will occasionally hear when we talk about salvation, about being saved. There's a word we use a lot. It's called justified. You might recall Paul saying we are justified by faith. Justified means to be declared either not guilty before God or to be declared righteous. The same, same idea. So you'll hear that word a lot. We are justified by faith. When we become a Christian, we put our faith in Christ. It's not as a result of our works, our effort, or any of those things, but it is by faith. Now, what justification is, basically, is a legal term. Your status has changed. When you become a Christian, you are now forgiven. You are now a child of God. That's what justification means, but it actually does not deeply affect us. It's simply a status change. There's another word that we don't talk about. Now, when you talk about justification, you'll also hear words like sanctification and glorification. These big words, sanctification is our growth, God growing us in Christ, becoming mature in the Lord, and so forth. And glorification is when we see the Lord face to face and we are with him forever without end. But there's a word that we don't speak to enough. It's called regeneration or being born again. It's a very important concept because it really is the backbone to which John is writing his entire letter. Do you remember Jesus said... To Nicodemus, the religious leader, he said, you must be born again. You will not see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Which is why Paul told the Corinthians, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed and everything is new. This concept that Jesus spoke to, that John highlights for us and, and emphasizes for us, is that concept, that truth which changes us. We are not who we used to be. And that is precisely what John is speaking to in this wonderful first epistle of his. So keep that in mind. Before we read our text, I'd like to offer a brief summary of where we're going in this passage. As children of God, we have an indescribable hope and inheritance freely given to us. Our fortunes in this life, indeed throughout eternity, have been completely reversed. We know firsthand what love looks like, what it really 
looks like. Because of this stupendous love that has been shed abroad in our hearts, we ought to love people fiercely, intentionally, tenderly, and consistently without ever giving up on that due to exhaustion or fatigue. And this love cannot, must not be just in theory. It should be practical, tangible, and felt by those around me. It should and it will cost me something. Loving well functions poorly if I refuse to move out of my comfort or my convenience zone. All of this should be most clearly seen in the household of God, in the church, among brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be a wonder to those around us. These people love one another. When we act and operate in this way, believe it or not, we derive benefits as well. We are living like our Heavenly Father. We all face doubts and struggles in our Christian journey. We question at times whether God really loves me. And whether or not I'm truly born again. When our hearts or our conscience justly condemns us in light of our own sin, as we come before him, our hearts are reassured based upon the truth of the gospel and because we see God's likeness growing in us. So let's read our passage. That was just to kind of set... The tome, First uh, John 3, verses 16 and following. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him... Now, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit 
whom he has given to us. So remember I said John just kind of circles around and he comes back to his themes and he says them again. He says them in different ways because he wants us to really get it. He wants us to understand what he is speaking to. This statement that he begins with, he says, by this we know what love is. Saints, that is a sublime statement. That is beautiful and majestic. John is writing to what they need to hear. He references love 26 times in this short letter. He is not speaking theory. He is speaking about love in action. So John is going to begin by reminding us that we know what love looks like. This is our straight edge. This is what we measure what love actually is. Because concepts of love can look different in different places. And we all know people, and it's very hurtful when this person is near to us, when they give lip service and say they love us, but by their actions, they do something completely different. So let's talk for just a moment about the love of God, the love of Christ. So I want us to pause and go a little deeper with that statement. It would be easy for us to just kind of gloss over it. He says we know what love is because Christ laid down his life for us. We know that there are people who lay down their lives for others in many different circumstances. But the catch with Christ is who he is. Do you remember Philippians 2? He says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, though he was, he did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. And essentially he took on our form. The creator took the form of his own creation. Emmanuel, God with us. But not just that, he came as a servant. He came to serve others. He was very humble. But not only that, he became obedient to death. That's something we never say about ourselves. We're not obedient to death. It happens. It's a part of what happens. But not with Jesus. So Jesus became obedient to death. But then he says, even death on the cross. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians and perfected by the Romans. It was a public affair designed to strike fear in people, to teach them to not attempt subversion of, subversion of any kind. If you come up against us, this is what will happen to you. Jesus would carry his cross, which really was your He would collapse under its weight after bleeding so profusely and experiencing such 
intense physical and emotional abuse already at this point. When we say that we are healed by his stripes, that is not a metaphor. His body was striped. He who knew no sin became sin for you. The invisible hand of God would transfer transfer your sins to the sinless Son of God. To His very body. Do we not stand at amazement that the sun was darkened, the tombs would be emptied? Did the veil in the temple tear from top to bottom for no reason? Friends, the greatest act of of injustice ever to take place in the history of the world would transpire right there at Golgotha, the place of the skull. It was unspeakably horrific and yet upheld and carried out by outstanding love and a heart that beat for you and me, but would ultimately be pierced by a spear. Saints, this was an agonizing death from which we get the word excruciating, literally from the cross or from crucifixion. Surely the criminals would long for death, but it would be denied as each breath required the agonizing movement Upward against the coarse wood, amplifying the already bloodied back. Jesus would suffer and die between two criminals, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53, verse 12, that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Keep in mind that it was against the law for a Roman citizen to be crucified. So heinous was this torturous death. But there was Jesus, the creator of the universe, hung between two criminals. Saints, do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you feel it in your soul? That Jesus was made to lay on the ground and stretch out his hands so they could brutally nail his wrists to the crossbeam. Such humility the Prince of Glory showed on that day. Such love he showed us. Do you see why he sweat drops of blood in the garden? Jesus was overwhelmed at the thought of what was ahead. His followers later on would die martyrs' death singing hymns to God. But Jesus would cry out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no comparison. His feet would be nailed to the upright beam as the agony continued. He literally upholds all things by the word of his power. But there he was on a cruel Roman cross. My friends, when John says, by this we know love. This is what he meant. We will never this side of glory plumb the depths of the riches of his love for us. 
And John conveyed as much in that little statement. It is upon this solid and beautiful foundation that we are to deny ourselves and follow him and love and serve one another. The capacity to do so will increase when we perceive and reflect upon the wondrous love that God has shown us. So this is love. This is what love looks like. This love has been shed abroad in our hearts. It is natural through the new birth for us to have a new disposition to love people. But we also, John says, needs to grow in that practice. Love one another. So John says, you have been loved. Now you go and love other people. This is not a stagnant practice, but one that we keep pressing on into. So let's talk a moment between the two difference, the difference between two words. In English, they both start with L. Love and like. There are lots of people that we like. We have our little social groups, people we hang out with, we're comfortable with. And if we're honest, it is not difficult, or usually is not difficult, to love those people. Oftentimes, they think like us. They like to do the same things. Conflicts, you know, maybe they're there, but not as much, right? Those are our people, like our special people that we're with all the time. But then there are people outside of our regular social groups that we may not like as much. John is not asking you to like people. Now follow my train of thought here. And he's also not putting a qualification there saying, well, love the people that you like. Because that actually does not get you a round of applause because it's fairly easy to do. John is saying, love people. Love people. Love is not the same as like. Love requires intentionality. It is a choice. It requires the grace of God to do so well. I'd like you to see this in your own Bibles. Uh, Look at Luke. I was thinking about this this morning. Luke chapter 6. I'll read it briefly, but better for you if you can see it yourself. This is from the lips of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Beginning of your New Testament. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. I mean, Jesus is being very, you know, he's speaking the truth, right? I mean... Great. Yea for you. You love people who love you. Verse 33. And, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Right? So the Christian virtue, the command is to love people. To love people. 
This concept of loving one another is not a secondary matter or not a secondary teaching of Jesus. In fact, he highlights it for us, John 13. By this, all people will know. Do you see the construction there? What John just said, by this, we know the love, we know love. Christ died for us. By this will people know that you are my disciples, that you follow me, that you're associated with me. If you have love one for another. That's high on the list. People should look in and say, these Christians are different. The way they love one another, the way they are intentional and kind and long-suffering with one another. So allow me to get real for just a moment here. We are now two years almost into COVID-19. There has been no shortage of disagreement regarding how we should approach this virus and live accordingly and so on and so forth. Hopefully, we're entering a new stage soon. We have a unique and a unique and a powerful moment before us. To demonstrate love and long-suffering and to really dialogue with one another over these matters. You know, pastors will often say, and it's usually in their first year of serving as a pastor, wow, seminary really did not prepare me for this, right? I mean, honestly, seminary is basically, you know, helping to make sure you don't stand up and be a heretic when you get up from the pulpit or wherever you're doing I think a lot of us pastors are probably about this point saying, you know, maybe we could have ditched that Old Testament survey, just read it ourselves, and taken a course or two in epidemiology that would have helped us immensely at the moment for what we did not see coming. But I'll just leave it at that, right? There are intense disagreements based upon real convictions that are important to us. Not everybody. Not everybody, but I'm just saying, as we move forward, let's keep that in mind. This is not just Jesus. The Spirit of God is relentlessly clear and consistent throughout his word. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told the Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but watch this, but only faith Working itself out through love. So what you believe matters. The truth matters. We're not budging on that. But it needs to be expressed and worked out through love. Love and truth are not to be separated. I'd like to bring us to conclusion here. John now ties in something, and it's actually a little difficult for us to follow exactly what he's saying based on the construction in the original. And so you get the big picture, but I'm just going to keep this at a very high level. It's this word confidence or reassurance. John makes an assumption. He uses the term before him. 
when we are before him, when we are in the presence of God, that is important in and of itself. That we are in the presence of God, that we seek the presence of God, that we slow down long enough to be quiet before him in his presence. John speaks to this very tender truth. We do not always live our life with immense confidence regarding our relationship with God. We are human. We struggle with doubts. We question, how could God love me? As a pastor, I hear this more times than I care to hear. People will come in here or other settings and they'll say, yeah, everybody else has it together. But not me. The truth is, what you're feeling on the inside is likely what everybody around you is feeling. Or from time to time. But there's a beautiful addendum here that John, and, that John adds to this. You see, when we are in the presence of God, we don't want to be full of doubt. We don't want for us to be in a position where our hearts are condemning us. He's really referring to the role of the conscience in which we are reminded of our failures or of our sins. And that is not a bad thing because the Lord uses our conscience to guide us in the right way. But when we become overwhelmed with that, there we are in the presence of God and we don't have confidence. John says, this is how you reassure yourself. This is how you grow in confidence. You take stock of what God is doing in you. You remind yourself that, yes, I I do love the people of God. I struggle with that. I don't do it perfectly, but I'm not who I used to be. I am so thankful to be able to see the tangible evidence of the work of God or the life of God in me. So that as we pray, we begin to pray with confidence and with boldness. And we find ourselves actually praying our prayers are more in alignment with God's will because we're walking with him. He talks about obedience and keeping his commands. It's a wonderful correlation. We're already aligned with the heart of God. And so as we pray, we see the Lord answering our prayers. I would like you to turn to one more place again. This is Hebrews, bless you, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just going to read it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there as well. I'd like to highlight this idea of boldness and confidence. When the scripture speaks about us coming before God, we are to do so boldly and with confidence. It can be natural for us at times to kind of crawl there or almost feel ashamed that, oh, well, here I am again. You must really be tired of me. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Emmanuel, God with us. 
But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, in light of what he just said, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Isn't it wonderful to see God's disposition towards you and me? Come, he says, come to the throne, the throne of grace, and receive grace and help and mercy when you need it the most. Which, if you were like me, is often. Look at chapter 10. We're almost done. Look at chapter 10. Look at verse uh, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's how God wants to see us in his presence. Fully assured that, yes, God loves me. God accepts me. My faith is squarely and my confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He took my sin upon myself. That is the Lord's desire for us so saints in a word you are loved more deeply more strongly more fiercely more unconditionally than you could ever actually imagine praise God for that with that love that God has now put in your hearts Let's be intentional about loving one another. Let's be patient with one another. Long-suffering with one another. Creative in looking for ways to love and support and serve one another.